to the Compelling Words podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. Stop and think about it for a moment. What is the largest crowd you've ever been in? What's the biggest crowd of people that you've ever been in? I was thinking about it uh, for me, and I really don't know what it would be. I was at a Bon Jovi concert in the 80s, and that was a big crowd. I've been at some professional sporting events, and those are always massive crowds. I was also once on the city streets, the old city streets of Jerusalem. And those streets are narrow and packed and very crowded. It's interesting to think about those uh, ancient city streets of Jerusalem because uh, today is Palm Sunday. And we're talking about when Jesus and his disciples came into Jerusalem on the day that we call the triumphal entry. So I'd like to take a moment uh, to read that just now uh, with you. It's found in Mark uh, chapter 11, verse 1 through 10, and this is what it says. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are doing this, tell them the Lord needs it, and you will send it back here shortly. They went and they found a colt outside the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. This is not the first time that Jesus has ever been in Jerusalem. He had been there at other times in his ministry, but this moment was different. His reputation at this time had grown significantly. Uh, People had become aware of his teachings and his healings. And uh, just prior to this, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And the news of that had just spread like wildfire. And at this time, before he enters Jerusalem, he tells the disciples to go ahead, to go ahead of him and to get this young colt, to bring him this young colt. All the Jews, just about all the Jews, knew the prophecies of the Old Testament. And they knew that the Messiah had been promised, and they knew that someone would come as a king from the line of David. Someone who would come uh, to save them. So they knew those prophecies, and they knew that one of those prophecies said that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem riding on a young colt. Zechariah was the prophet that spoke um, that prophecy. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. When Jesus chose to enter uh, Jerusalem riding upon that donkey, he was making a declaration. And the crowd, they knew it. They knew what Jesus was declaring when he came into the city upon the back of that donkey. They knew that meant something. They knew what it meant. They knew what he was declaring, and they were excited. So they, so they spread their coats out upon the road. Uh, they took down palm branches, and they waved them in the air, and they yelled out, they yelled out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna. They yelled out, Hosanna in the highest. They believed that Jesus was there in the name of the Lord. They believed that Jesus was there as a new king for a new kingdom. They believed that he was there to save them. That's what Hosanna means. Uh, That's what Hosanna is. It's quite literally a cry out for help. It's a cry out to be saved. It's a plea for salvation. Hosanna is their way of saying, please, please save me. The root word for Hosanna is also used in one of the Psalms. It's used in Psalm 118, verse 25, where it says, Lord, save us. Lord, give us success. The Hebrew word Yasha is the word save. And that word Yasha gets combined with another Hebrew word, the word Anna. And Anna means to beg. So that's where Hosanna comes from. Yashana, Hosanna, begging to be saved. Have you ever needed help? Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to be saved, where you just needed help, where you're crying out in a desperate need, help me, save me? That's Hosanna. And that's why this crowd was so happy and so excited. Jesus just gave them every reason to believe that he was exactly who they hoped that he was. He gave them every reason to put confidence and trust that he was their hero, their Messiah, the Savior. He was the one who was going to save them from the Roman occupation. He was the one that was going to save their national pride and identity. But that hope did not last long. Less than a week, and the crowds were no longer excited. Less than a week, and the crowds were angry. We read about that in Mark 15, verse 6 through 15. This is what it says. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and they asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall, I dim, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. 
But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Less than a week, and they are no longer shouting Hosanna. Less than a week, and now they're shouting, crucify him. On Sunday, they yelled out for Jesus to save them. And by Friday, they're yelling out to Pilate to kill him. Why? What changed? What changed that attitude? Honestly, we we don't know for sure. Some have suggested that they were incited and influenced by the Roman or by the religious leaders. That the religious leaders had kind of stirred them up and incited them, even maybe to the point of picking a select crowd to kind of be in this moment. Brought in by the Pharisees and Sadducees, a crowd that was coached and told what to do. It's also suggested, and I think it's very likely, that this crowd had turned angry because they uh, had become disappointed by Jesus. They had become disappointed by Jesus. Disappointed because they were disillusioned as to who Jesus was. Jesus was, and Jesus is, the Savior. But he was not there to save them from Rome. His intention was bigger than that. Uh, His mission was much more significant than that. He came to save them and to save us all from sin. That's not what they expected. And that's not what they wanted. They didn't want a kingdom that was not of this world. They didn't want Jesus to lead their hearts. They wanted Jesus to lead a revolt. They wanted a kingdom right now. That's what they wanted. And they were disappointed because it had become very obvious that Jesus was not going to do what they thought that he was going to do. He wasn't going to lead a revolt and uprising against Rome. So their adoration turned to anger. And I think there's times that we might struggle kind of in the same way. We have certain expectations of Jesus, certain expectations of God. And if things don't go like we expect, we become disappointed. And sometimes we even get angry. You see, we tend to think that if we do good, then God's going to make everything good for us. God, I go to church. I read my Bible. I worship. I pray. I'm nice to people. I'm not nearly as bad as a lot of people. I'm generous, and I do good things. So why are things so hard, God? Why don't things work out for me? God, do you even care about me? It's so easy to slip into thinking that God's whole purpose is to bless us and to make us comfortable and take care of us. And we kind of think that blessing us and taking care of us means that everything's going to be smooth and easy. It means that everything's going to be good all the time. It means that things are going to go the way that we think they should. It means that we're going to be healthy and comfortable and protected. And Now I know, yes, God's word does promise. God's word does promise 
that God loves us and does care for us. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So, so the Bible does affirm to us, tell us that God does love us and he does care for us. God will work for the good of those who love him. God will work for those who've been called according to his purpose. But don't assume that what God works for, don't assume that what God works for is all about our comfort and all about our happiness. The truth is, there are many times in the Bible, there's many times in the Bible where it's not about comfort and happiness. There's many times in the Bible that Jesus tells us about how difficult it's going to be to trust him and to follow him. In John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, narrow is the road. In Matthew 16, Jesus says that to follow him, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross. A narrow road is not an easy road. A narrow road is a difficult road. Denying yourself is not an easy thing to do, to put aside your needs and to deny yourself. Taking up a cross, it's a clear picture of hardship, struggle, and sacrifice. God does not promise a life without struggle. No difficulties, no troubles. God doesn't promise that. But he promises something even greater than that. He promises us that he will be with us in and through all those times. We'll still go through those times, but God will be with us in those times. And he promises that at the end of those struggles is something good. John 16, 33 said, In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Matthew seven fourteen said, Narrow is the road to life. And Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25 said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, for those who are in the Lord, for those who are walking that narrow path, for those who've denied themselves and have taken up the cross, For those who love the Lord and are living according to his purpose, at the other end of this frustrating life with struggles, there's something good. There's an eternal life. There's an eternal reward. That's what Jesus' purpose was. That's why Jesus came. Not to make a better life for us, but to make us ready for eternal life. Not to take away our troubles, but to take away the guilt of our sin. I remember uh, many, many years ago, I don't know how old I was, and I'm not sure where it was, but there was a water park that my family was vacationing at. And like I said, I don't remember how old I was, but I was young, and I got out in the wave pool, and I I was a pretty good swimmer. But I got out in that wave pool, and I thought I was big enough and strong enough and cool enough that I can get way out deep in that wave pool, out to where the machine churns out those waves. And so I got out there, and I was swimming, and then the waves started. And they just started churning up these big waves. And it didn't take long for me to realize that I was, 
I was struggling. I was trying to stay up. I was trying to use my arms and my legs and kick. And I was trying to stay above the water, but I kept swallowing and choking on water. And I can remember seeing through the water in my face, I can remember seeing the lifeguard up on the deck of the pool. And I remember him looking down at me and just looking at me and just pointing at me and just yelling. And he just said, if you can't handle it, if you can't handle it, get out of the pool. If you can't handle it, get out of the pool. I'm sitting there thinking, you're right, I can't handle it, but I'm drowning. I need help. Help me. He never did. The waves settled down and and I, I got myself back to where I could get on my feet. And I left that wave pool and I was... I was messed up. I mean, I was, I was choking water, and I had kind of pushed it pretty close there. That's one of those few times in my life where I, I, I could say that I, I thought I was a goner. That Palm Sunday crowd, they, they cried out, Hosanna, save us. Please, please save us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus did for them, and that's what Jesus did for us. You see, Jesus didn't stand on the edge and look down at us and lecture us and pointing out what we did wrong and telling us how we need to do better. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't look down at us to to ridicule our mistakes and our failure. No, you know what Jesus did? He jumped in. He jumped in. He got wet. He jumped in and he saved us. Even more than that, he died to save us. Romans 4.25 says that he was delivered over to death for our sins. 1 Peter Two, verse 24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 3 says that God did this by sending his son who became an offering for us. That that Palm Sunday crowd, Jesus was saving them from something even more than they ever realized. Even more than they could ever really hope for. But in that moment, they didn't know. They did not know his purpose. They did not know that Jesus was more than a miracle worker more than a healer, more than a teacher, more than a prophet. They didn't know that he was more than that. In that moment, they apparently believed that he was the Messiah, but they didn't know what that meant. They did not know that he was the Son of God, and they did not know that he was the Messiah who would die to save them from their sins. According to the Gospel of Matthew, not everyone in that crowd really even knew what was going on. In Matthew 21, verse 10 through 11, 
It says this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and they asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Some people didn't even know who Jesus was. And actually, at that point, no one really knew who he was or what he would do. They did not know, but we know. We know. We're living, we're living after Jesus went to the cross. We are living after Jesus was resurrected. We're living after the cross. We're living after the resurrection. We know who Jesus is because the resurrection proved it. We know who Jesus is because the New Testament explains it. We can trust the credibility of the scriptures. And we can test the authenticity of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And when we put that to the test, we can know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And when we know who Jesus is, we should be even more excited than that crowd on the streets of Jerusalem that day. We should be more excited than that because we know who Jesus is. And we know why Jesus came. We should have more enthusiasm. We should have more joy, more energy. We should have even more. We do have even more to praise God for. Not just the hope for salvation from a physical oppression, but the assurance of salvation for our eternal souls. Jesus came to save us. So let's give him our praise. Psalm 146. Verse 1 and 2 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Jesus came to save us. And that's exactly what he did. But I have to ask one last question this morning. What does Hosanna mean to you? What does Hosanna mean to you? When you ask Jesus to save you, what do you mean? If you're calling for Jesus to save you, just to protect you from life's troubles and life's struggles, to keep you healthy and comfortable and safe from all that might be harmful. If you're asking Jesus just to, make, to save you, to make your life feel good and nice. Then you've misunderstood why Jesus came. And you're going to be disappointed. But if you're willing to repent of your sin... Take up your cross and live for Jesus, walking that narrow path. Because he's your Lord, he's your creator, and he's the one who died to pay the penalty for your sins. If you're willing to follow Jesus on that, in that way, a devotion and allegiance to who Jesus is. If you're willing to embrace Jesus 
as Lord and Savior, then you'll know the true value of faith. Peace, the assurance, the hope, and the promise of eternity. Jesus came to be your Savior. But for him to be your Savior, you must allow him to be the Lord of your life. Will you please now take a moment to pray with me? Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that you remind us of why you came, why you entered into this world. It wasn't just to make life good and comfortable and easy for us. It was to save us, to save us from the guilt, the punishment of our own sin. It was to come as a sacrifice for our sins. May we let that just overflow in praise. May we celebrate. May we be excited and enthused. May we lift you up and honor you. May we walk that narrow path following you because you are not just our Savior, but our Lord. God, we love you and we appreciate so much. We are grateful for what was done that we could not do. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. And if you'd like to leave a comment, please send an email to c.wordspodcast at gmail.com. May the word of God be living and active in your life.